All right, well, good morning. I, that usually does break a rule about talking about Christmas this early. But uh, that's because normally when we talk about Christmas this early, it's about selling stump, something and uh, marketing, making money. This is about giving. And so I do hope that uh, you'll take the opportunity to participate in this really small way that we can bless kids around the world in a big way. So uh, jump on that opportunity and some bless as we have been blessed. All right, let me invite you to open up the scriptures with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And as we jump into Ephesians, ah, excuse me, chapter 5, we finished chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at the first two verses. Oh, how could I forget this? That's terrible, isn't it? So I just wanted to rejoice with you that this is grandbaby number nine for our Jackie and I. Uh, Was born this week. SJB for her name out of the book of Psalms, Selah, is her name, Selah Jade Burnett. And Jackie's up in South Carolina right now having the time of her life. So um, I may have forgotten the picture, but I'm pretty sure she's forgotten me because she's (laughs) loving that right there. So thanks for rejoicing us. Okay, now, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. So before we jump in and look at the text, we're going to do what we've committed to do every week. And that is, before we look at what God has called us to do, we're going to remind ourselves of what God has done in us. Because the Christian life, when properly understood, it's always living out of the overflow of what God has done in us and for us that we would walk in newness of life. That's why we wrote the song that we did, Phil, because I want us to remember continually before what we do in Christ, who we are in Christ, that we used to be dead, but now we are alive. We were dead in our sins, but we are alive in Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, informed, sealed heirs of God. We are loved perfectly, strengthened supernaturally, and that we are made a minister of God. So that is everything that has been done for us in Christ. Now, that's not true for every person. Let me clarify again before we jump in. This is for those who've acknowledged their sin has separated them from God. And because of their sin, you and I were dead and we were deserving of the judgment of God. We were under condemnation. But what God did in Christ is he gave his son so that you and I could be forgiven and made alive. That all our sin and all our punishment was placed on Jesus so that by trusting in him, we could become new people. That is the gospel, that in Christ, we are these things because of what Jesus has done for us. That's why we give him praise and that in him we have everything that we need to then do everything that he has said. So I hope you will begin to able to, 
to, as we go through Ephesians, go, I know who I am. I am alive from the dead. That's where it all starts. And then as alive from the dead, I am blessed and love and strengthened, and I am a minister. Not I am a minister. You, if you're in Christ, you are a minister. And as a minister, now I am to walk out my new life in Christ in some very specific ways. First, that we are to walk in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to walk in unity in our marriages because we are now new people. And that unity comes through a heart of humility. We're to walk in service to the body of Christ that God has gifted you. And I'm going to keep saying, I want to remind you, if you are in Christ and not serving in the body in some way, then that is a step of obedience that God would be calling you to take. That you were made to serve as a minister of God. That you are to grow in maturity like Christ. None of us are fully mature, but all of us us are seeking to grow into the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So as long as we look at Christ, we continue to look in that mirror and go, how am I not like him? That I would need to continue to grow in maturity like Christ. That that maturity would begin to walk new paths. In other words, the manner in which we used to live, the scripture says, don't live that way anymore. And if you haven't been with us, this dresser is to remind us of how we walk in new paths. That we must renew our mind. This top right drawer right here, your left drawer, it is a reminder that our newness in Christ must be continually renewed in our thinking because we do what we do because we think what we think. So our mind must be renewed that I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. Because that's true, I am going to this bottom drawer, which is always hard to pull out. And it reminds us, it's always hard to lay aside old habits, right? Yeah, you're green on the inside. The ways in which we long lived are not easily discarded, but we do so because we think new thoughts of who we are in Christ. And so the old ways, the scripture specifically identifies three in Ephesians 4, impurity, immorality, and greediness. It doesn't stop there, but jealousy, envy, that we would lay aside those and that we would then put on newness of life, that we would put on truth. So, as we walk a new path, some specifics. Ephesians 4 said, walk in a new path of words. Speak some new language because who you are in Christ. Lay aside lying. Lay aside malice. Lay aside slander. And put on what? Put on wholesome words. Put on words that the picture Tony used that, to tee it up to help others please the Lord. Last week, the same picture. We walk in a new path of work because we recognize work is good. Work is a gift from God. Work was created in the garden and work will be what we get to do for all eternity in heaven where there is nothing bad. Work is good because I believe work is good. And... 
Work is not only good, work has a purpose of sharing. Not just providing for me, but for sharing. So what do I do? I lay aside stealing, I lay aside laziness, and I lay aside this mindset that I am only working to get out of work. Because that's the American way. I'm going to work as long as I need to till I don't have to work anymore because that's the American dream. It is, but that's not the biblical dream. The biblical priority is to go, because of who I am as a minister of God, love perfectly, strengthened supernaturally, work is good. I'm going to put on hard work to the glory of God to not only provide for me, but to do what else? To share. May God work in each of us that for the rest of our lives, we would see the opportunity and privilege of work that we would have something to share. So you see, this stressor just reminds us, if we're going to live out who we are, renew our thoughts, lay aside, put on the new. Here's a new, new. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. Why? Because you're his children. And kids imitate their dad. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. So the new path is the path of love. Walk in love. Walk in love because it is, as the text declares, it's a family core value. Our Father is love. He's just not loving. Our Father is love. That's a big difference. He is, in his essence, love. The Apostle John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love. What's it say? Did you hear what that just said? The one who does not love does not know God. Is that a detail? (laughs) Wow, that's pretty big. How can that be true? Simply, God is love. And friends, if we're children of God, what happened? He poured himself into us. And if God lives in us, what will we do? We'll love. And if we don't love, then the scripture says very clearly, This is a good moment for you to look in the mirror and go, what do I see? If we don't love, the scripture says, you ought to ask yourself, why do you think God lives in you? Because God is love. And therefore, what did Paul say? Be imitators. Love as he loved because he is in you. It's a family core value. Not only is God love, but Jesus, it says, our Savior who brought us into the family, he gave himself for us in love. This is the manner which we became part of the family. 
Verse 2 again, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. And an offering and a sacrifice to God. Don't miss this. He loved us. How? By giving himself up for us. Never misinterpret the historical account of the cross of Jesus that somehow they arrested him, he could not get away, and they nailed him to a cross because he could not stop them. That is not an accurate understanding. If he didn't want to be arrested, could have he escaped? Yes. If he didn't want to be nailed to a cross, could have he stopped it? Yes. So in other words, he gave himself up. You see what I'm saying? He did not exercise what he could have in the moment. He gave himself up. And even in that language, as we'll see, we see what love is. It's giving ourselves up for the sake of others. He did it for us, but did you notice this? And an offering and a sacrifice to God. What Jesus did was for us to the Father. For us to the Father. So if we're going to love like that, we're going to learn to lay ourselves down, to give ourselves up for others, but it has something more significant than that. Not just for others, but we're going to do it unto the Lord. And when Jesus did that, what's it say the Father did? He went, this smells good. That sounds weird, because the cross would have been an ugly, vile death, blood, stench. It wasn't the, the physical aroma. What smelled good to the Father? The obedience, the sacrificial obedience. Can you think what smells good to you? You drive into your driveway, you open the door, and it's like, ooh, somebody's grilling. That smells good to me. Meat on the grill and cookies in the oven. That smells good to me. That's not very spiritual, but that smells good to me. I just think it's pretty, it gives me a sense of the heart of God. When I think about what smells good to me, because what smells good to me reflects a bit of what I love. I told you about my dad, a farmer, last week. You know what smelled good to him? Freshly plowed ground. I was like, oh man, I love the smell of plowed ground. Or a hayfield, freshly cut. What smells good to us tells us what we love. And that's the point here. When Jesus offered himself up, wasn't taken from him, when he offered himself up for us to God, that God said, that smells good. Why? Because he is love. And if he is love, then love is always going to smell good to him. It's a core family value. Love smells good to our dad. 
And it smells good to our dad because he is love. And when he speaks of love to us in the New Testament, I want to set it in perspective to everything else the New Testament talks about. So I'm going to just run through a few passages really quickly that identify love as it relates to other things that we're called to do and to be. The last verse in 1 Corinthians 12 says this, and I show you a still more excellent way. Now that might not make much sense, but chapter 12 was all about spiritual gifts, serving, which we said is a new path we're supposed to walk in. But after he speaks about serving, he says, but let me show you something even better. And you know what 1 Corinthians talks about? The rest of love. It's, it's the chapter, if you didn't know, it's the chapter in the Bible that deals completely with love. So love is more excellent even than serving in the body. And in that chapter, he says this about love. Love never fails. And he ends that chapter by declaring, faith, hope, love, abide these three. In other words, these three remain. But the greatest of these is love. And so when it's all finished, what remains? Love, the most excellent way. Colossians 3.14 says, beyond all these things, and these things were compassion, humility, kindness, Beyond all those things, put on love. It's the perfect bond of unity. First Peter 4 says, above all. Above what? Well, if you read the verses before it, above a sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above that, do what? Keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. All I'm simply trying to communicate that we would capture this morning is this. When it comes to everything that we are called to be and do, now filled with the fullness of God, it is to love. Because love is, not my words, I simply put it together from the words of scripture, love is the greatest. Love is the Above all, love is the beyond all. Love is the most excellent way that never fails. See, if you're trying to write those words down, don't miss the point. It is the overwhelming priority that ought to mark our lives. This is why Jesus said, hey, here will be how people know you are my disciples, that you love one another. All right. Can I have your eyes for a moment? I realize it's Sunday morning. Many of you have done this like a, th- a thousand times. It's church. Yada, yada, Doug, yada, 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 yada. Bible, 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 Bible. I wonder how the Jags are going to do. It's a pretty day. If there's ever a time for you to go, I think this is an important sermon. Because sometimes people ask me, is this a good one? Well, you know what? Uh, you tell me. I don't know if it's a good one. It's an important one. It's 
strike that. It is the most important message you could ever actually listen to. Because it's talking about the greatest, above all, beyond all, most excellent way that never fails. All right, church, are you listening? Yes. Please understand. If we don't do this, we have completely missed the point. If we don't love. If our marriages are not marked by love. If our homes are not marked by love. If our church is not marked by love. If people on our street don't go, that's a loving person. That's a loving couple. We have, I don't care. Well, I do care. But this is... (laughs) The expression that we actually really believe what we say we believe. So if there was ever a time to hear and a time to respond, to go, Lord, this is not just another sermon to check off the box. This is it. That's the priority that the New Testament gives to it. That's the priority that Jesus gives to it. So, on the chance that you thought this was just another Sunday, could you listen with, and not just listen, but receive with a greater sensitivity, with a greater readiness to actually do what we're about to see love does. So maybe bow with me. See, it's one thing for me to say it to you. I'm going to invite you here in this room, north, online. Would you say to the Lord right there where you are, Lord, Actually, I don't usually do this, but like audibly. Lord, grow me in love. That we would love like you love. All the people that you love. For as long as you love. To your praise. In Jesus' name. All right. So what's that look like? Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. So in other words, we have an example of what love looks like and who it loves and how long it loves. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 13 when he says, For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. You see why I put those two verses together? Walk in love as Jesus did. And Jesus said, hey, what I just did to you, you do to others. So I want you to turn from Ephesians 5 to where Jesus said this in John chapter 13. As you turn to John chapter 13, I want you to understand the context. This is Jesus with his disciples 
within a few hours of him being arrested, within less than, well, about 12 hours of him hanging on the cross, of him giving himself up. So, uh, final night with the disciples prior to his crucifixion. What did he do before he then said to them, follow my example? Go to the beginning of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, so that was all what was in the head of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, we'll come back to in a moment. Here's what he did. He got up from supper and laid aside his garments. Exactly what we talk about, bottom drawer stuff. He laid aside, because the first three verses were... What was true? Because of what was true, he laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. And he poured water. See, he put on. He poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. It doesn't tell us the order. It tells us of a conversation he had with Peter, who was a little uncomfortable with this moment. But after it says he finished washing every single one of the disciples' feet, all 12 of them, <clears throat> then he gets back up, he puts aside. The basin and the towel, he puts his garments back on and he says to them, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example, see we're back there, that you should also do as I did to you. So imagine if I said, because of what this text said, the men are coming forward with basins of waters and towels, and you're going to wash one another's feet. And you think, oh, that sounds like a Doug move. Are we really going to do that? If you're online, you're thinking, praise God for live stream. <laughs> have, how many of you have been part of a foot washing? 20% of you, maybe. The rest of you, 80%, you don't want to do what Jesus did? This is kind of weird, dude. This is, honestly, I want, to, I want to not skip over this. I've, except for one men's retreat, we've never in a worship service here done a foot washing, but Jesus said, follow my example. Do what I did. Why don't we do this? Because when I was a kid, <clears throat> when I was in middle school, once a quarter on Sunday night at Refton Brethren in Christ Church in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, 
We would gather in the basement, the men in one room, the women in another room, and we'd get in a circle as guys, and they would get a circle as women, and we would sit beside one another in chairs, and one person would start and wash the person's feet to the left, and after their feet were washed, they would get down on their knees, and we would go around in a circle and wash one another's feet. That's awkward. And I was a junior high boy. Everything's awkward for a junior high boy. But washing, we did it once a quarter. Why don't we do that if Jesus said, do what I did? So this this is a question you should ask yourself. Because we take the scriptures literally. Why are we not doing what Jesus said to do? To follow his example. You're like, that's a good question. I'm waiting for the answer. Here's the answer. Because what Jesus did in washing the disciples' feet and what he said, follow my example in doing what I did, is not specific wash people's feet. He was not introducing a religious exercise. Jesus was demonstrating that what I want you to do, that I did, is I want you to meet Real needs that I have placed around you. In other words, when they were gathered together and it was before supper, Jesus looked around and what did he see? He saw a bunch of dirty, stinky feet. And he went, before we eat, somebody needs to wash these. See, the irony, when we gathered in the basement at Refton Brethren in Christ Church, if you go to a quarterly foot washing, what do you absolutely do before you go? You wash your feet and put on some clean socks. Because you don't want to be that guy to the person on your left. Like, oh my word, did you not know this was happening? So what had we turned it into it. We had turned it into a religious exercise that was not actually, everybody's feet were as clean as they were going to be that quarter. That's not what Jesus was doing. He said, there's dirty feet in the room and it's right before supper. Somebody has to wash them and nobody else is getting up. Nobody else is girding themselves. I'll do it. And this is not new. When Jesus was with hungry people, he fed them. And when he was sick people, he... And when he was, demon, was with demon-possessed people, he, he freed them. And on a few occasions when he was with dead people, he raised them. He's gone, here's a widow whose son has died. No husband, now no son. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Maybe you think Jesus was just going around doing stuff so people would go, wow, what a guy. Now, they did go, wow, what a guy. So that they would believe in the Father. But he was meeting real needs his entire ministry. And so church, if we're going to be the church to one another, at home, where it's really hard to be the church, (laughs) 
in this community, we're going to see needs and then find somebody to meet them. No. no. We're going to see needs and, and meet needs. Sometimes we're better at seeing needs than meeting needs. Sometimes we don't even see needs. If we're going to love like Jesus, seriously, if we're going to walk in love, what you and I are going to live with a mindset, with the eyesight of Jesus that says, my neighbor has a need, I'm going to meet it. person in my family group has a need. See, if family groups aren't first and foremost knowing needs and meeting needs, you're missing the point. The point is not to get together and have cheesecake. That's not wrong. I mean, cheesecake's good. It's just not the point. The first point is to know needs and meet needs. See, I love the, I love the fact that <clears throat> we got an email of, from a mom saying, my husband out of town for almost three weeks for military purposes, out of country actually, yard lo- growing high. An 11-year-old boy in our church saw that, got his lawnmower, mom brought him over and mowed the grass so that when this guy came home, he didn't have to mow the grass, he could be with the family. That, that's the heart right there. You see a need and you go, I can help with that. One of the real needs that I want you to make sure you know about here at the chapel is a super kids ministry. You may go, I don't even know what that means. We have, all through our community, families with special needs children. And maybe something you've never thought about is families with special needs children often find it difficult to go to church anywhere because special needs children need special attention. See, this is different than, oh, the kid goes into the classroom and there's two teachers and 15 kids. This is a, if you will come here, there'll be one person, one buddy, who will be with your special need child so that you can go, and get a break and be involved in worship. You know, most churches don't have that. You know why? Because it's hard to get two people to watch 15 kids, let alone one person to watch one, and the special needs. And so special needs families have a hard time finding a place to worship. And gratefully, a number of years ago, a person in our body saw the need and said, we should meet that need. And we have buddies, one-on-one at the chapel but not enough. And I have a suspicion that that's a ministry that many of you have no idea. Last week, because we had a need, and one of our men heard of that, he went, I can meet that need. And now he goes to junior high so that a junior higher can get one-on-one attention on Sunday morning, this hour, this morning, so that their parents can come to church. We need two or three more who now knowing that need will meet that need. Becky C. 
at Christian Family Chapel uh, at cfcjacks.com. I thought I had her address. That's why I went to the next slide. <laughs> thought it was up there. Becky C. at cfcjacks.com. Becky Conover, our Director of Children's Ministry. Becky C. Becky with an I, not a Y, at cfcjacks.com. If you're not sure, Doug R., and I'll forward it on. <laughs> but we need two or three more. Otherwise, a family shows up and is like, ah, oh, I can't, uh, we can't do what we came to do because we need another buddy. So we could use some buddies. Hey, men, men, bigger, stronger is better. And I would consider myself bigger and stronger. So don't think, well, I'm like 5'9", I guess I can't do it. <laughs> Oftentimes, a man really helps. Good place for you. Second, to live, walk in love like Jesus, I humble myself and do what others refuse to do. This is just quick and obvious. Nobody else was blind to the fact that there were dirty feet in the circle. It's just nobody else wanted to do it. Because the mindset was, that's for a slave. And I'm not going to take do the role of a slave. I'm not going to do the role of a servant. Which is why when Jesus laid aside his garments because he knew he was and he got out the basin and the towel, they were like, oh. It was a hang, head, hang your head moment. Rightly so. That's why he finishes and he says, if you call me teacher, if you call me master, if you call me Lord and I do this, they got it. It's why it's loving is a, a humbling of myself. And sometimes it's just doing what other people refuse to do. My daughter-in-law, Roxanne, came to Christ in college in California at Fresno State where she was a collegiate athlete. She came to Christ through Fellowship of Christian Athletes and being used in her life, she wanted to be that for someone else. So she got trained to be uh, a staff member with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And when she was fully ready and out of college, they said, so where would you like to serve? Which campus? And, and she said, what nobody says. She goes, well, where does nobody else want to go? And they said, very fast, Rochester, New York. <laughs> and she said, I'll go there. Single gal packed everything in her little red Corolla and drove the whole way across the country to go do something at a place where nobody else wanted to do. Because why? Because it's a jillion degrees below zero. <laughs> By God's grace, she moved in. My son came two months later, moved in two streets down, and the Lord brought them together. But the point is, I love the spirit of Hey, tell us, tell us what you have a hard time getting people to do. What ministry is always lacking? I'll do that. I can serve. That's what Jesus did. He goes, nobody else is going to do this. I'll lay aside. I'll put on. And I'll do. I walk in love when I'm kind to those who intentionally hurt me. 
Where's that in the story? Who was prepared to intentionally hurt Jesus? Judas. Does Judas already know? Judas already knows the planning that night to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew. I'm kind to those who intentionally hurt me and abandon me. Who abandoned him? All of them. You understand that Jesus had already predicted. They didn't understand what he was saying. But, but as Jesus got down and washed the feet of these guys, he knew that these were going to be the feet that literally ran away chicken when he would be arrested. And, and when he got to Judas's feet, Judas is there going, God, I feel so can you imagine what you would feel in that moment? You know what you're going to do to this guy. And he has just done what you absolutely would never do for even your buddies in the circle. And let alone this guy, you're going to betray him. And Jesus, it says, he knew the one who was betraying him. That, that's in the context. He knew it. Judas knew it, he knew it, the other 11 guys didn't know it, but these two know it, and he's washing his feet. Anybody ever hurt you? Probably so. And you may think, I've been so godly, I have not gotten them back. This is a good start. Well, you know what godliness does? Loves them, blesses them, serves them. That's really hard. This is not just theory. There's a time in my life where somebody really hurt me. I wasn't really sure how to relate to them. And a well-meaning friend says, just love them. Just love them. I was like, Thank you. I'm not sure what that looks like. I just love them. I, I don't know what that means, honestly. So I got up days in a row, like 4 o'clock in the morning, wrestling with the Lord. I know I'm supposed to love them. I just don't know what that looks like. Finally, third day. Very simple. I wish, it, I wish I would have seen this in the text earlier. Do for them what you would do for everybody else. And my heart was free. I literally, I remember wrestling for morning after morning and then getting up and going, all right, Lord, now I know. When I interact with them, I'll simply go, I'll do for them what I would do for everybody. Is that not what Jesus did in the circle? He knew. And he didn't, he didn't get to Judas and go, <clears throat> both you and I know why we're skipping this one. <laughs> I'm 
I'm not going to like slay you on the, on the spot. I'm not going to. He wash, He does for him what he does for everyone. Walk in love. I walk in love like Jesus when I know who I am, who sent me, why I'm here, where I'm going. Now, that's a, I know that's a lot to write down. This is all top left drawer stuff. This is, this is what I think that causes me to lay aside and to put on. It's what the scripture says about Jesus in verses one and three that caused him to lay aside in verse four and what he put on in verse five. He knew who he was, who sent him, why he was here and where I'm going. It said in verse one, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the father. In verse three, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and they had come from, forth from God was going back to God. What did he do? He got up, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. In verse 5, and he grabbed the basin, and he washed their feet. So again, just so you got it. Jesus knew. You don't have to write all this down. I just want you to get it. Jesus knew his hour had come, that he'd depart, that he had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, and he was going back to God. It was what he knew that caused him to lay aside his rights and privileges. Right? This is not hard to it's not hard to get. Who's the last person in the circle who should wash the feet? The one who did. But he did because he knew who he was, where he was going, and so he laid aside and he put on humility, kindness, grace, and love that we just talked about. So who are you? child of God, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, filled with the fullness of God. The Holy Spirit lives in me. That's who I am. Who sent me? Jesus. The Father sent the Son. The Son has sent us. And Jesus prayed very specifically, Father, don't take them out of the world. Keep them in the world. Why are we here? To be his presence, the body of Christ, to, to do his work. Is the body of Christ. And where are we going? <clears throat> We're going to heaven, where we will give an account and where we'll enjoy God forever. That's all top left drawer. Knowing who I am, why I'm here, where I'm going, where I've come from, what my authority is. Because when I know that, what? Then I lay aside. My point is this. When we fail to lay aside, when we refuse to lay aside, when we are reluctant to lay aside, when we refuse to put on grace and love, it's because we've forgotten who we are, why we're here, and where we're going. And it's no accident that that's why John 13 begins the way it begins. It identifies Jesus is crystal clear in his thinking, which causes him to do what he does. I want to call us as church to remind, this is who we are. Because of who we are and where we're going and where we've come from and our authority, that we would be like Jesus to meet real needs, 
and humility saying, I'll do what others refuse to do. Even people (laughs) who deserve the exact opposite. I'll lay aside my rights, my privileges, and I'll do. I'll walk in love. And finally, I won't allow my personal heart to be an excuse to stop loving. I won't allow my personal heart to be an excuse to stop loving. You understand what I mean? If not, here's all I'm saying. Do you know Jesus could have said, guys, tonight I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to be tried all night. Lied against, in the morning, beaten. A crown of thorns placed on my head, rods scourged, made to carry a cross and then be nailed to it. Could someone else please wash the feet? You you, you know that, right? How many times have you seen a need and then thought, I just got a lot of, I got got my own stuff going on. Or I'm just not in a good place right now. Or as this generation says, I'm just not in a good space right now. And we allow the personal heart to become the reason Somebody else should meet the need instead of us. When in fact, quite frankly, oftentimes in the midst of our heart, the very thing that God would use in the midst of our heart is our willingness to say, I'm going to get my eyes off me and help somebody else. Maybe you're not serving right now because you go, I got my own. I'm just not in a good place. Maybe you're not blessing in your neighborhood because I'm just not in a good place. Not loving at work. I'm just not in a good space. This is why Jesus says, what I did to you, as an example, you do for others. What I think is most compelling to me about John 13 in this situation is the core commitment of Jesus to love everyone. The faithful one and the scoffer, the one who would deny him, the one who would betray him, all those who would abandon him. It's his commitment to love everyone. Why? This simple core truth, everyone matters to God. See, when we're honest, not everyone matters to us. But everyone matters to God. And when it comes down to the core of this text, if we're going to walk in love as Jesus walked in love, everyone's going to matter. 
So let me invite you to take the elements of the Lord's Supper with me. If you need one, put your hands up over North Sam. If you, if you didn't get elements, just put your hand up. We'll be glad to come. As you hold these in your hands, these are the symbols that remind us Jesus gave himself up for us. And let me be crystal clear. He did this for us to God because we mattered to him. We matter. We matter to God. Not just everyone else. You matter to the Lord. Does he know your sin? Does he know your past failures and your future failures? And you still matter. So <clears throat> before we take, simply want to invite you to as an expression of you want your heart to become like God's heart. Let's declare this with Matt, that we agree everyone matters to the Lord. Everyone matters to the Lord. Everyone matters to thank you. Thank you for laying your life down for me. I've been prideful and wasteful. I've been unloving and evil. You knew it and you loved me. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Take in remembrance of the grace and mercy of God to you. as one who has been loved perfectly would we give ourselves to love as he has loved that everyone would matter to us let's continue to worship I invite you to stand
because we have confidence that you are in us and you have empowered us with everything we need to do everything that you have done and that you call us to do. So Lord, we thank you for our identity in you, the power that lives in us. And so maybe may we go now today and the following days, Lord, will we bless people. We love everyone you put in our path. In your name we pray. Amen. Glad you guys are here. Hope you have a blessed day.